Britain rejoice. King Collins done it in Rally GB. For lots of people, it was the reason, particularly in the UK, it was the reason they fell in love with rally. Yeah, yeah as the commentators would say, vintage McRae. Yes, we finally won the bloody thing. Hip hip hooray, it's McRae Day in the latest races of our lives. Rallying's in our blood, and this is pretty much why. We're going back to November 1995. Toy Story's out with the pictures. Robson and Jerome stun Oasis to the number one spot. And Britain has its chance to finally win the goddamn World Rally Championship title. With me to live the dream all over again is Dirtfish writer and all-round rally guru, Mr. Luke Barry, who I'll be playing co-driver for, no doubt, in this podcast. <laughs> so, Luke, what are your first thoughts on Rally GB 1995? I love that. I feel like I was there, even though I wasn't. Goodbye. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think the, the obvious memory has to be, well, very specifically the donuts at Chester Racecourse, but yes. more generally just anything to do with Colin McRae. It was McRae weekend, wasn't it? I think obviously we'll get into it, but nobody else stood a chance. It was just, it was Colin's day. It was Scotland's weekend. It was Britain's weekend. It was a weekend we still all talk about now, 28 years later. We're, so. we're, see, we're still young. We're still young. Just about. We're clinging on to it. Just a bit, <laughs> but no, it was it was fantastic. I think for lots of people, it was the reason, particularly in the UK, it was the reason they fell in love with rallying. If they didn't love it before that weekend, it was it was front page news. Afterwards, it was it was huge. And that, now, if we look at the state we're in now compared to then, it's incredible, and it shows you just how big a deal this was. Absolutely, exactly. I mean, it, it's McRae is single handedly responsible for far too many of us being totally obsessed with motor racing of any kind. But another thing, and without banging the northern the northern drum too much, I will admit another memory of mine is Hamsterley Forest got a stage as well in this rally. It was over it four did. days. Uh, and it started on, um, I think it started on a Sunday, which is a bit bizarre for what we're used to now, of course, over the weekend and a Friday. But yeah, the northeast, uh, County Durham got its own stage. Uh, it was quite a mix in there as well. Uh, I suppose a lot of people will be over the podcast trying to work out where I'm actually from. And um, yes, <laughs> uh, if you're wondering, my accent is indeed from Biker Grove. <laughs> so yeah, someone born uh, in County Durham. It's nice that we had our moment. Yeah, do you know what? You can have that. I, I've got no problem with any kind of Northeast shout out at all, Dan, as you know. So yeah, I, as you say, I'd totally forgotten you mentioned that. It was a Sunday to Wednesday event, which... I guess back then wasn't so out of the blue, but now, as you say, everything's very structured in all of motorsport. It's always a Saturday, Sunday thing, really. So yeah, to have this sort of stuff going on through the week, I hate to think how many people weren't at their jobs on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, when they probably should have been. And the <laughs> amount of sickies being pulled around the country. It's, it's fantastic to think about. I know, because uh, usually on a Wednesday, you'd be thinking of how you're going to get there and you'll have your plans <laughs> ready, won't you? You'll be ready to yeah. go with who you need to interview. But no, this is where you say, bye-bye, I'm just off for uh, Sunday work now. I'd like to have tried. And, and it's, it's fascinating to think, because I guess if that was normal then, you'd think, oh, it'd be weird if you did Friday to Sunday instead. But, but I think that would be that to me seems really thrilling, like a Monday or a Tuesday when you're just following some live motorsport, not sitting sort of getting or looking forward to it, rather, or reviewing it. You're actually involved in it. I think it would have been quite fun. 
But I think anyway, this is the, the saddest thing about this rally. And we talk about it. And I personally get mixed feelings because it was great. But I just so wish I was there. It's one yeah. of those weekends that I just wish I was there. It's one of those moments. Anybody that was there will always talk about it. It'll always remind you where they were. They'll always remember where they were. Um, I think, I think else... that you're in most of the 90s, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't disagree, to be fair. But yeah, at this point, I was still, without wishing to age myself, I was still probably not even a thought, let alone a, a creation. So there you go. I was a couple of years off being alive at this point. You lucky son. So I think I'll have been four, four years old by this point and still had were no you? idea what was going on. I was going to say, so were you at the uh, the Hamsley Forest? <laughs> I mean, I probably heard it. I'll probably, if they were uh, rallying on a Monday, I'm surprised that they actually managed to get down the A19 or A1 at any point, because uh, <laughs> Monday traffic at those times are horrendous. Yep, there we go. But if you've got a blue and yellow Subaru, you can skip past all the cars, just the hard shoulder. Oh, oh yeah, yes, yes. See, I think we had a Vauxhall Cavalier, and I think that got nicked. So, <laughs> so that was quite difficult at the time. We were just lucky to Go have a cow those days. So let's get straight into it. Colin McRae, amazingly, only had one win by this point in Rally New Zealand. Sainz had won three times. Of course, Carlos Sainz and Colin McRae we're going to speak a lot about in this one. One of the big rivalries of the 90s. Uh, he'd won in Monte Carlo and, of course, in Spain. There was a lot of drama in Rally Spain, wasn't there? Would you like to take up what happened there so I don't have to? Drama is a good word for it. Um, I like that tactical dodge as well, Dan. <laughs> but yeah, I think even non-Rally fans will know about this one. It's, And I think it is fair to call it actually genuinely a bit of a genius cheat from Toyota because what they managed to pull off, in a way, it's quite sad they were caught because it was such a clever essentially manipulation of the turbo system where there was a secret valve in there that would open and close and allow more air into the turbo and essentially give more power. But this obviously manifested itself, I think, after the second, either the first or second day in Spain when Juha Kankinen was leading the rally. I think they'd actually only used it once on the event before in Australia, but it was on the, the Langley Park Super Special. And for anybody that knows that stage, it was quite a classic down the years in Australia, but a Super Special is probably... If you look at thinking about it from Toyota's perspective, not the best place to trial that because you can directly see the performance of the car against another. And I think perhaps the, the additional straight line speed of the Celica compared to others maybe raised a few eyebrows from rival teams. Um, so the FIA in Spain, they seized one of the turbos. They, uh, they found what Toyota had been doing and they were not just thrown out of 95, but excluded from 96 as well, which is actually from the championship perspective, and I think it's easy to forget the impact this had. If that hadn't happened, I'm not saying he would necessarily have won it, but Kankana would have been right there in that finale in the RAC. So it, rallying history could have been so much different if they hadn't been caught. Absolutely. And then, of course, there's a second bit of this where Carlos Sainz never seemed to have any good fortune when it came to the British round of any World Rally Championship season. And in this one, it even happened before then. Because I think he'd agreed to join Toyota before all of this had happened. So, of course, he's already yeah. headed into a disastrous <laughs> season ahead. Yeah, I think Carlos, to be fair, everyone talks about it in Formula 1 now. And I guess in 2023, it's the one year where Fernando Alonso has actually made the right choice. But Carlos did have a few of them over the years where he joined Lancia at the wrong time in 93. As you say, he had a scream. And it would have been a good move for him. But obviously, he, he couldn't drive. So... 
he ended up having to seek refuge with Ford, which didn't work out too badly for him. Um, and he ended up back at Toyota down the years anyway. But yeah, it was and he ended that... up back with McRae as well, which was even more of a disappointment <laughs> for him. He could not escape the Scott. <laughs> but yeah, as you say, I think all of that going on won't have helped when you're trying to focus on winning a championship. And apologies if you're going to bring this up as well, but I guess for Carlos, it was a weird season anyway, because he'd had this, I'm going to use air quotes, you can't see me, but mounted bike accident before <laughs> Australia, which whether it was a mountain bike he was on or not, it's probably open to interpretation, but um, that ruled him out for an event. And again, if you think back, the form he was in before that happened, I don't know, he probably could have been, I feel like I'm talking McCray down, I shouldn't be doing this, Colin's the hero of the story, but Carlos would have had a very good chance or would have been in a much better position going into the final round had he not had that injury and missed the points because you would have to assume he would have scored something in in a, I said Australia, it was New Zealand he missed, I think, so and where McCray obviously won as well. So yeah, a bit of an up and down season all round for, for Carlos. And already the tension was brewing between Carlos and Colin because in Spain, whoa. <laughs> That was a one that we also know. I think, if anything, it's more famous than this round that we're going to talk about, purely because you've got the the you've got the images in the forests of the pro drive team team basically waving a collar to try and slow him down on the apex of full speed corners because of team orders. Uh, yeah, Colin was not a happy man after that, as Sainz won his whole round and it forced a decider. Well, the, I think the interesting thing about that is obviously, as you say, we all know. The dramatic scenes of Colin not even flinching or taking his foot anywhere near off the throttle as he goes past. It's terrifying, isn't it? Which is fair play to those guys that were standing in the road because I know I wouldn't want to have to have done that. Um, <laughs> the situation we're going, but in fairness to Colin, and he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for this, but to be given Carlos the race that he was on a surface he wasn't that familiar with, obviously in Carlos's home turf as well, was actually really quite incredible. So I think I can't remember the exact gap going into the final day, but Subaru made such a big thing of this team order. I'm, I'm pretty sure they even invited the press out for dinner the night before and said, this is it, they're holding station, there's going to be nothing going on. So then uh, not <laughs> ideal for David Richards next morning when McRae starts taking seconds out of Carlos, but yeah, it was it just added that extra bit of spice, but equally, I guess, a bit of a rag to a bull situation, or red rag to a bull, Colin would have been hard to beat in the RSE anyway. But given all this has happened, and he felt he was denied, I think it was five points, and he ended up being tied with his teammate going to the final round. After all of that, he was extra determined to make it work for him. Yeah, I think there's probably an extra uh, table just filled with popcorn if the press were there, because they'll have had a lovely hot seat watching all of that unfold. I'd have loved to have been there. One of the, again, one of those fly in the wall situations where, <clears throat> excuse me, it would have been just yeah. I'd love to know a the what was said, but b the conviction and the confidence of how it was said. Like, I imagine David Richard didn't see this coming. He might have done. We'll have to ask him. He might not even want to really tell everyone. But yeah, just, just one of those. But it's an incredible story, as you say, almost as famous as the round we're going to talk about. Well, let's get into that rally then. Already, McCray, you can tell how annoyed he is because apparently people used to exceed speed limits regularly on the recce's, we've found out. Colin was a serial offender of this, we'll, we'll um, yeah, tongue-in-cheek say. Apparently, he earned over a £1,000 in fines just at the recce's for speeding, tried to get as much of an advantage as he could. Uh, that That is just standard, Colin. It does not matter. Just one thing on his mind, which is 
completely flat out. If in doubt, flat out, he always said. And that was already proven by even before the rally started. <laughs> I didn't actually know it was as a regular as occurrence as that, to be fair. So that's interesting. But as you say, rules are rules only if you get caught. So you got you I don't got to <laughs> No, no, I don't. I don't. He just wanted to drive fast, didn't he? And that's why we all loved him. So, yeah, like I said, it's four days, 28 stages, so a real marathon, running across the likes of Chatsworth, Donington Park, there's a name we'll know, into Leeds. And then, finally, <laughs> we get to Wales for much of the second half of the rally to the, the stages, which we've all we've all been to. You know, uh, James Charman, a regular on this podcast. Uh, me and him, I remember watching it in the horrific rain at Diffinant with a rucksack full of scotch eggs, Tunnock's tea cakes, having a lovely old day. So we all know that Wales Rally GB does have a strong part in the calendar. They're proper rally snacks, by the way, just to interject. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Did you have any kind of flask or anything either, or is it literally just the food? Oh, of course you if have you a flask. Remember. I'm surprised yeah, we didn't yeah. fill it up with iron brew and, and rum, quite frankly. <laughs> Should do. So the entry list for this, looking at it, was incredibly huge. Over 150 competitors, lots and lots and endlessly lots of British drivers. Of course, the likes of Roger Clark, Tony Jardine, and Malcolm Wilson. There's a name that we all know. This was back when Malcolm, of course, was rapid out on the stages rather than having his say on his own drivers. So, yeah, Malcolm <laughs> was a handy peddler, wasn't he? He was. I think it's easy to forget, actually, for some that Malcolm did do a lot of driving. Obviously, a British champion in his own right. And doing the REC for, for the British drivers, you mentioned there, there was always the chance that they could come and prove themselves against the world's best. And anyone that doesn't know me, it's probably quite a few of your listeners, I am <laughs> the biggest rally nut there is. So it's an obvious thing for me to say, but this is what I love about rallying so much is provided you have the finance or finances to do it, you can literally turn up and do the exact same event as the world's best. Nothing stopping you whatsoever. So I've not had a proper look at the entry list down from top to bottom, but there'll be a lot of these guys that probably either would do one rally a year or maybe two or three to prepare themselves for it. This was like their mecca. This was everything. They could do this marathon four-day event, and obviously they're not going to be as competitive as the works drivers, but it doesn't matter. To just drive the same stages as them is is really cool. Um I've sidestepped from Wilson there a little bit and gone a little bit sort of misty-eyed about the brilliance of rallying in my eyes. <laughs> but That's how it gets yeah, you. It is. It is. I'm trying to spread the joy. Um, but yeah, I think for me, the, the interesting entry in here was Alistair McRae, obviously Colin's yes, brother, in a one-off with the escort Cosworth as well, which did actually work out quite well for him, which I'm sure we'll get to as well. And um, Alistair at this point, I think, had just become British champion in a little two-wheel drive Nissan. So it was a quite an important step up for him to get a four-wheel drive escort under his belt. Yep, McRae's were taking over at this stage. So, Tommy Mackinnon, though, was another thorn in the side. He'd led Mitsubishi in a 1-2 early on in this before McRae finally decided he wanted to stamp his authority, <laughs> taking 28 <laughs> seconds out of Carlos Sainz. And after the first day, Tommy Mackinnon was in a good position, but then it all fell apart in Hampstead Forest, ironically. After leading the rally, he hit a log, trans uh, transmission was damaged, and then it's game over. Yeah, I think this was, for Carlos especially, probably a favourite, because it takes one car at the bat and allows him a little bit closer to Colin. But yeah, if I remember rightly, and I'm testing myself because I've not looked it up, but I'm pretty sure, as you say, Mackinnon led after 
what we used to call the stately home day of all the sort of different stages around the houses and the circuits and stuff. Then when they hit the forest is when Colin came alive. That was when he knew he had his chance to really take the gaps. And as you say, building a 28-second lead at this point. And it's important to remember with rallying that it's not quite the same as circuit racing. Nowadays more so, but particularly back then, it wasn't tenths of seconds that were decided. But this was still a huge amount of time to be taking out of something in the exact same car as you. Um, but it was just Colin's affinity with this rally. He'd come here already having won it the year before, so that probably helped him. He didn't have that same pressure to to win the event for the first time. And all of that home support, go back and look at any of the video footage and you will struggle to see any image of McRae, A, not sliding the car in full sideways, or B, with all the different fans, flags, horns going off as he comes in. It was We always talk about it in football with the home advantage and how you really get the home crowd behind you in a big game and it makes a difference. I think this was... The clearest sign, I think, particularly in rallying terms of, of this working in motorsport, was mental the difference that must have made. But obviously it wasn't completely plain sailing all the time for Colin. <laughs> yeah, I, I, another thing I remember is the images of, I think it was in British, just the British Rally Championship, uh, McRae and a Subaru uh, with the sort of Rothmans livery. Uh, so many offs he had in one particular rally. But every time, fans are there doing everything they can. There's a clip of him reversing, having been righted after a roll, with just a mob of supporters still on the roof and the bonnet of the car, trying to get <laughs> bits of the car back in shape before he just disappears with people falling off the top of it. Is Yeah, the fan base, you could tell. This was their time, and they, yeah. they were not going to be disappointed. No, they'd waited just as long as everybody else. And I think... At this time, obviously, Colin was only 27 years old. And I say only 27 because I'm 26. So I'm trying to tell myself that that's not too... And in reality, it's not old at all. But only until last year, that still stood as the record as being the, the youngest world champion. But I think with Colin, it was always... People called him the people's champion, didn't they? He was just this regular Scottish guy that just happened to drive fast and loved driving cars. It, there was no side to him, There was no joy or love of being famous was none of that there was there wasn't like a massive persona if he did have a persona it was just that he was this hard-edged guy that would always attack things to the max it was yeah i, I think it's he's almost the easy choice when you think about legends of wrc but as you said it's impossible to underestimate just what a difference he made to so many people's lives like the impact he's had on all of us becoming interested in this side of motorsport is is mental really when you think about it Because Carlos Sainz was still trying and uh, keeping on trend, uh, reading back on some articles on Dirtfish, he was quoted as saying, I'm still trying, despite what had just happened. A little bit more even. I'm taking more risks. Sometimes inside your mind, you don't know because many times we've fought with Colin and these things happen. Of course, by this point, you almost wonder if Carlos was starting to think, I do I need some good fortune here? Is this not my day? Do you think that maybe was in his head or does he does he not really care? I think it would be impossible for anybody to be in the situation he was in and not feel at least a little bit psyched out by the entire job. He'd have known Colin better than anybody. He'd have seen how it went in Spain first and he'd have seen the anger in his eyes. I think he knew what was coming. And as you say, Carlos had always been okay in this rally before, but it was never his favourite. It was never the one he would look at for the entire season and think, this is my event. Colin on stage as he knew with fans that were clearly willing him on I think and again I wasn't there so I can't say it's a categorical confidence it wasn't that the fans were 
necessarily jeering or booing Carlos. It was just they were full on supporting Colin. So it's, you'd almost feel guilty winning if you're in that situation amongst all these people that wanted another result. So, yeah, I think Carlos knew that he was going to have to require a little bit of fortune, shall we say, if he was going to get the better room, uh, which did end up happening at a point, didn't it? It did. That's, luckily, that's exactly what we're going to get on to because disaster struck a Pundashaw as a puncture hit Colin McRae. Sainz suddenly led by 36 seconds after a two-minute loss of time. By this point, you'd think, what have I done to deserve this? What I think, looking back, though, and it's easy to say now, because this, if this didn't happen, I think the story would still be amazing. But this is the hero arc, isn't it? This is like the movie script territory we're into. We've got the classic setback for our protagonist where it's all gone a bit wrong. But he wasn't actually the only one to puncture, if I remember correctly. I'm pretty sure... Kenneth Erickson did the same thing, but obviously nobody yes. really paid attention to that because it didn't have the same ramifications. But yeah, it was a weird one. If I remember correctly, he didn't really know why it happened. He just ran over a stone and that was it. But if you look back at <clears throat> excuse me, any footage of the time, what's remarkable is Colin barely seemed phased by it. Yes, he just chucked away two minutes to his teammate. He must have been like over a minute behind, but didn't see that as a problem. Obviously, this was day two, I think, of four, so he had time on his side, but that's a lot of time to make up, and obviously, the quicker you go, the more risk you take, the more you're risking jeopardising your entire season's work, but he didn't, at any point, seem stressed by it. He almost seemed happy. It gave him a bit of a challenge, an excuse to just drive absolutely flat out, which is a real mark of the man. It gets the young McRae, isn't it? It's not the the slightly <laughs> flustered one that could end up upside down under a bridge with boulders around him so by this point I don't think there was anything that was going to stop him from there it was the drive to survive moment really the let's yeah. just set him off on a challenge let's <laughs> see if he can complete this and if, if it was a PlayStation game it would have the little trophy achievement unlocked in the corner wouldn't it come, come from two minutes down to win I'm That's glad exactly. you mentioned Kenneth Erickson as well he was very impressive in this rally it's easy to forget Along with Tommy Mackinnon, Mitsubishi were probably the quickest out there in this rally. But like we say, from being in the top five throughout, Kenneth was another one to DNF through similar bad misfortune, really. Yeah, I think at this time, Mitsubishi, they're obviously just off their dominant streak with Tommy Mackinnon. That happened from 96 to 99, but they were a force that was emerging. I remember distinctly in Sweden that year, they had a one-two, a controversial one-two because it was orchestrated. Um, in Kenneth's favour, which didn't please Tommy. And I guess history would prove that was maybe the wrong decision <laughs> for future bets. Um, but yeah, they did actually have quite a good season. I'm actually pretty sure as well at this stage, they could have still won the Manufacturers Championship. Um, Subaru were massive favourites for it, given obviously their two drivers at the head of the drivers. But Kenneth and Tommy going out obviously did at least tick one box for Subaru. Not that the team manager was probably thinking about that at that moment in time. I reckon the Fingernails were getting bitten off uh, the rings, as you could sense another Colin attack coming. Well, that's a rivalry I want to mention. Even in our youth, just games like Gran Turismo and even just people out in the street, Mitsubishi Subaru was a proper car enthusiast rivalry, wasn't it? Yeah. It was it was just, just completely doubled in size by rallying, wasn't it? Which side were you on? That's the controversial question. I was the blue side. Were I did you? enjoy Subaru. It was these liveries. I'll be honest, liveries did it for me. You see, this is the thing. We talk about this as a battle, but I genuinely have yet to meet somebody that's a Mitsubishi boy. For me, it was always, everybody I came across was always Subaru. My family was Subaru obsessed, and this spread it into 
many years after McRae, we had Impreza road cars. My dad even managed to wangle and convince his work to get an Impreza company car. So not the WRX, sadly, just the regular. But it did, was he, did he put three fives on the side by any chance? <laughs> he did. No, I don't think he'd have got away with that. And to be fair, he's the kind of man that wouldn't appreciate that in his own car, to be fair. Um, Bless him. He likes to be more understated than that. But which is a shame. I think that would have been cool rocking up to school in that, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Hanging, um, hanging out the window a la Petter Solberg with a flag, the Scottish flag waving out the side. <laughs> Double maths yeah, coming up. Oi, oi. Yeah, I wasn't quite a fanboy enough for that to fit at that age. I'm probably still not now, but I would do it for the jokes now. Back then, I was always about being almost opposite of McCray. I was inside the box all the time, always inside the rules. Um, but yeah, as you say, that this, I think this season was the start of that. Even if it was essentially at this point a Subaru Subaru fight, I think the Subaru Mitsubishi, these were the two teams that were on the rise. And as you say, as the 90s progressed, yeah, they, they were, it was complete rally cult stuff that obviously sponsored brilliant road cars as well. So, I mean, like T Rex, we could bang the gong as much as possible about Colin McRae and just the drives he's done over the years and the, the comebacks as well. But this was. Like we said, the ultimate charge, winning at least four stages on the spin, and they were they weren't even just by a little bit. Now we look at stages where like power stages are won by the tiniest margins, and some of them are even dead heats. Here we're talking gaps of about between ten and twenty-two seconds, just eating and eating into the lead of Carlos Sainz. Is a bit of that, bit a bit a little bit helped out by the weather as well. Of course, it started raining as we got to Wales, but. It was just an unstoppable charge, I guess. Knowledge, weather, and determination all combining in this cauldron for Colin, wasn't it? Yeah, if he didn't know any better, he'd maybe accuse him of cutting corners somewhere and finding a, a shorter route. Because, as you say, the it wasn't just that he was winning the stages, it was the time difference. It was just incredible. For me now, as I say, I, I'm very, sort of, my head is very into modern reality. It's my, my job. It's just so hard to fathom how somebody could be that much faster on a single stage. It's it's incredible. And yeah, <laughs> as you say, I think everything was just in the right place for him. Co-driver, everything perfect, car perfect, driver obviously in harmony. I've mentioned, mentioned it a lot, but the crowd support as well. It was just the most incredible probably couple of days driving, I think, from a rally driver probably potentially ever seen. Um, just you had no doubt. Every single stage, that gap coming down, coming down, coming down. It was almost like, right, so when is he going to take the lead? Not will he take the lead? And when you consider how much time he did lose with that puncture, it's, it's mental that he was able to do that. Um, absolutely mental. It was, as the commentators would say, vintage McRae. But I will <laughs> I will give Carlos some uh, respite in all of this because he was suffering from a misted windscreen during a lot of one of the days as the weather turned. So that probably did cost him the odd five to ten seconds over these stages. And eventually, after these problems were solved, he stopped the rot on stage 17 out of 28, finally getting a win, but that was only a minor one, if anything. And then, at the end of it, a crushing 22 seconds, McRae went faster to end day three with a, what we could say was just the killer hit. It's the perfect psychological play, isn't it? And whether it was intentional, I'm not sure we'll ever find out. Or maybe he would never even know if he was here to tell us. But <laughs> just, as you say, for Carlos, actually, in a way, it, I don't know if Colin is like playing with them all, let him have a bit of a 
a gap planning his attack. But I think it was a very important move for Colin to get that lead going into the final day because I know for some drivers it can be quite daunting or quite stressful to have the advantage because if you're first, I guess all you can do is lose at that point. You've got nothing else to gain. If you're hunting, you can just be the hero and take whatever you can. But Colin didn't seem to care about any of that. He was just going to drive anyway. But to go into that final day knowing he's seen how much of an advantage he had. He knew he had that in the bag. It was his rally really at that point. So to get ahead, to finally have done that, to to prove it was possible, um, I think everybody, particularly in the science camp, would have been thinking, right, my only chance here is if there's a problem. Because <laughs> the way he drew and come back, I think it was yeah, it was a bit of a one-way express. Um, Colin and the rest, as they say. And of course Subaru at this point were flying as well uh that car in particular we've definitely got a soft spot for that one we see it at many car events whether it's the autosport international or just seeing it appear and doing donuts as we all know off those images it is an iconic part of world rally that car that impressor isn't it, it it's super special and it, it kind of annoys me in a way because i wish people talk to me about my favorite rally cars and stuff i wish i had a more outside the box answer just to be interesting but I think it's impossible not to, and it's everything about it. It's it's the gold wheels, it's obviously the colour scheme. What I would always call the bananas on the side of the <laughs> three in yellow and the Subaru, the, the noise of the flat four boxer. It was, yeah, it was something, it was a cool and special car anyway, but linked into this amazing story just obviously elevates its importance. But it's going to be a bit of a subtle brag for me. But I've not sat in many competition cars of any kind, but I have actually sat in that very car that Colin used. I didn't really fit in it, I'll be honest. I was a little bit too, shall we say, wide. I think <laughs> the main seat. question is, could they actually get you back out of it? Because I'd imagine you've been clinging on to the roll cage as much as possible, going, no, this is now where I live. Do not take <laughs> me out of this car. Yeah, I didn't want to get out at all. It was actually, I was filming a link in something for a video we did with Dirtfish last year at the McRae Rally Challenge up at Dock Hill Racing Circuit. And... Uh, we were lucky enough to have access to the car. So, like, well, do you want to sit in to do it? And I was like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> do you, like, you trust me? Um, but, yeah, to be fair, as I say, difficult for me to get out because I was a little bit too big for it. But, yeah, I didn't want to. It was one of those, if if you weren't thinking, oh, you're just sitting in a car, but to be sat there thinking, this is where McRae sat. And it was, yeah, that is special. Um, yeah, I think it, does. it doesn't it make gets, sense. It gets, the, it gets the feelings, doesn't it? The feelings going. It does. The, the knees rubbing. Yeah. But it's incredible how simple those cars were, though. Obviously, they are competition cars, but all the little indicator socks and all that, the air vents, even though they're covered up to a point, but that's all standard road car stuff. And that, to me, I love that. It's just the little details that, yes, this thing is built to fly through forests and go over jumps and everything else, but it's still fundamentally just a car. Um, and I love that sort of stuff. I'm a nerd, though, so yeah. that sort of stuff gets me. <laughs> it's raw, isn't it? It's bit, I think we're doing the... Speaking of classic rally cars, I think we're we're... Uh, not giving the Peugeot 205 enough credit in all this is best cars we've seen. Listeners at home will not know that we used to do work occasionally on the Circuit Rally Championship where you'd see just anybody with an old-fashioned car tinkering <laughs> in the garage can just go and enter. It's phenomenal. Whether you want to see a Ford Escort going up against a Vauxhall Nova and an M Sport Fiesta, it's one of those series. And I do remember once someone in a 205 uh, actually show me the inside of it and i thought that does not look like a peugeot engine i went oh no that's uh that's from a honda civic so we call it a pogonda <laughs> <laughs> so oh you've given it a nickname as well okay then 
that's, you, that's a perfect you see some magic engineering in rally in these days. Oh, it's incredible. But it's, it's a nice sort of shout out for the circuit championship, actually. You're right. That was one of those series where you could build anything and be competitive. Just the nature of the of the stages, obviously, more power helps, but it was really down to driver skill and using what you had rather than it who's was. got the best car. So, yeah, well, he's always done some quite entertaining battles and matchups. It just wouldn't make sense otherwise. Six crest, 400. Six crest and six crest, 50 to stop <laughs> yes spot on yeah, and speaking of skill on track Cos McRae just carried on into the final day all he really had to do was just keep this focus going and the mistakes that we became so used to they never came a dominant day sealed a win of 36 seconds and that was it we finally bloody won it it was, it was the first <laughs> Brit to win the WRC era from 1979 onwards, discounting, unfortunately, but we are going to count it. Uh, Louise Aiken Walker, of course, won the Ladies Series, I think, yeah. uh, in the very early in the 90s. Uh, yeah, so we'll give her a lot of credit because she was phenomenal as well, wasn't she? From the same town as me, actually, as well, done. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a bit patriotic there. But yeah, you're right. It was, it's, and again, it's important. I don't want to talk as if I could imagine what it was like because I can't. I wasn't there, but to understand and you speak to everybody from the time, the weight was huge. We always had fleeting heroes. You think of people like Tony Pond, who always had the talent, maybe not always the right machinery. And some of that was his own doing. But we maybe go the wrong way when he could have had a more competitive car. But you think that amazing RAC in the Metro where he had flu and he still got a podium at that point. It was like right, okay, here's the hero. No, but there was something about. Colin, there was just something about it that I think made this seem inevitable. But like it is in all sort of classic sporting stories, you don't want to believe it until it's happened. You can't, you don't dare tease yourself. But it was just a magical time. Like, and I'm going to say it one more time. I'm sorry, but <laughs> the support that was everywhere. Like, it wasn't just on the stage. It was the road sections. It was was crazy. One of my favorite stories from this final day, though, and I didn't know this until a couple of years ago when I finally read McRae's autobiography the real mccray um he played pool on the way to the first stage in the morning he found a little welsh pub he had time on the road section he stopped and he played pool with a couple of welsh guys and that to me is just what made rallying at this time so crazy um, it's just if, you if that, if that, that table didn't else. get flipped over then i'll be astonished <laughs> i'd love to know as i say how, how good he was like was he also a magician on, on the table as well the, re- the real know. hustle featuring mr c mccray <laughs> but yeah I just that sort of stuff but also that to be fair and maybe it was a way to relax himself but it just points to how calm he was he almost knew that this was his it was and I don't like saying it's like Desi I'm getting a little bit too Hollywood now but it did just feel like it was gonna the job was gonna get done and and so it did It's amazing when you look back at the statistics. It was the only title that he actually won in WRC. When you look at it, you've got 25 wins, 42 podiums, 460 stage wins. And it's if he hadn't have won this title, it would have been the whole, uh, like you said, football, the Harry Kane having all these goals, no, but no trophy to show for it would have been the backlash from the media, wouldn't it? Yeah. But that's the thing. It's, it is, you're right. It's crazy to think this was the only one, but I, I'd love to know how different 
maybe he'd have approached stuff or the narrative would have been, if he, as you say, if he hadn't won this title. Say Science had got there first. There's other years, we think particularly 2001, where McRae obviously had that famous crash on the first, I think it was the first morning. Um, and what was, It was a four-way battle, but really it was the battle of Britain with him and Richard Burns. 97, he came within a point. And to be fair, it was the fastest driver and car combination throughout the year, but lots of mechanical issues in the middle of the season made it too much for him to, to overhaul. But yeah, like whenever someone's got the championship, the way they're perceived is so much different. And to be fair, I think that probably contributed a little bit to McRae's slightly off-beat 1996 season. It wasn't yeah. the best title defence we've ever seen in the WRC. But yeah, it's, it is mental when you think just how good he was and how highly revered he is. You compare him to other drivers that have more championships, more wins, and it almost doesn't make sense because they're not talked about in the same breath as McRae. But this is what's fabulous about sports. It's not always about how many medals or trophies you have to your name. It's, people can appreciate talent when they see it. Um, but yeah, I think it's nice that you at least got one. Um, could you imagine McRae not as a world champion? It wouldn't make sense, would it? <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> I know you mentioned uh, Tony Pond before that. Something I did say, now this is very obscure motor racing stuff. YouTube brought up a related video of back in the days of the Birmingham Super Prix. Uh, of course, we were used to seeing Ford Sierra Cosworths and then Formula 3000 cars. There was also a, a Metro series, which Tony Pond was involved was in. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal because it's strange seeing them actually being driven well and two apexes because you're used to seeing them completely everywhere shouting their heads off with that little scoop on the front but yeah they used to race them briefly trying to get a series out of them which is yeah that's something you should all check out on youtube it is quite fun it's quite surreal so yeah the moment that it was sealed is definitely encapsulated by Derek ringer saying that'll do for me as he crosses the line, <laughs> uh, fair play to Derek and to Nicky Grist. That must have been one of the most terrifying jobs to have sat next to Colin McRae during their career. They were always very calm, and Derek deserves a lot of credit, doesn't he, for his part in Colin's career? 100%. Yeah, and it, it, they always say it in rallying. The co-driver is the first one to get blamed when things go wrong and the last one to be congratulated or sort of appreciated when things go right but yeah every good driver needs needs the right hand man or woman that can do the job perfectly on that side as well and and Derek didn't miss a beat in a way when you think about it they were quite not an odd match but they're quite different characters I think Derek was much more reserved than Colin was but to be fair Colin was never brash outside the car either in fairness it was more the way he drove his, his like paintbrush on the artwork was was very sideways and spectacular but yeah, as you say, it's it's a two it's a two team job in rallying. Um, so every driver's win is also a co drivers, and and yeah, I think I think as you say that that moment from Derek when the release came through, and I think it is almost always the co driver that hits it first. The driver's just been so intense driving that world. The co driver's like that. Yeah, it was so special. It almost brings a, a tear to the eye when you think about it. Um, again, I'm going to say it one more time. I wish I was there, and it would have been just incredible to witness it um and yeah special achievement for both of them special day for subaru as well of course carlos Sainz disappointing for him second place was all he could manage but really what can you do in that situation but third place do you know who was third i do richard burns of course the start of a future hero of course a brilliant performance from him wasn't it? it just kind of gave everyone a little glimpse into what was to come 
Yeah, and again, I, I don't know the feeling from the time, obviously, but this is the forgotten part of this story. Obviously, it was a Subaru 123, um, and it was Burns driving the third car, which at this point, obviously, I think he'd only been British champion a couple of years before then, so he was only just learning about rallying at this stage. So this was, as you say, a, a massive result to get on the podium. His first in the World Championship, um, and what a way to do it, I guess, and on your home stages. Obviously, at that point, he wasn't the hero. <laughs> that was down to later as well. I've one good friend, Colin, but but yeah, a very good performance. And one of those quirky facts that, as you say, if you don't know it, you'd be surprised. Well, oh, okay, did Rose Richard was was at that rally at that time because we think of Richard's Subaru years being further down the line, late nineties, early two thousands. But you forget he did start and was around almost at the same time as, as Colin was as well. And in a future episode, we will definitely be touching on when their rivalry went to all new levels. Of <laughs> course, uh, after that. Somebody who just missed out on the podium uh, just proved that the Brits were having a phenomenal day. Alistair McRae, great drive from him. Massively great driver. And I think one of the big rallying what-ifs for me is this didn't lead to what we thought it should. As far as I understand, there were conversations about a potential Ford contract for the year after, which didn't quite materialise. And as you say, he earned it. He, he'd been British champ at this point. Definitely. He was fourth on the rally his first time in the car. Obviously, I'm not going to sit here and say it was more impressive than what his brother did because I don't think anybody could claim that. But in this, his own circumstances, hard enough. That's the problem. Colin just did not try. (laughs) But um, again, memory's going to have to serve me correctly here. If I can remember correctly, I'm pretty sure the fours were fourth, fifth, and sixth. And Alistair obviously came top of these ahead of the likes of Bruno Thierry, who was very impressive actually in '95 and extremely unlucky not to win Corsica earlier in in the season, but. Yeah, it was a really, really, really strong drive from Alistair. Um, and as you say, it always, and I think too much about these things, but I always just wonder what would have happened if this had led to something else. Because he, he did obviously get WRC chances, but further down the line and in cars that were slightly less competitive. Um, but yeah, it was, as you say, perfect family weekend for the McCrays. Well, that horrible word hindsight keeps crawling back into our world, doesn't it? Funny, <laughs> funny story in this all. Uh, Tapio Laukinen's fire extinguisher actually went off during the state of the rally during this fight. And apparently it left them in inverted commas, wetter than the fans watching at the time. <laughs> so there's what one person who didn't enjoy it. Was he in a golf? I think I think he was. Well, you you because you, you're much up. more of a nerd than I am. <laughs> I'm far too nerdy. I'm gonna check this up and see if I'm correct. Um I am as well. Let's go. I don't know if I should be happy about that or horrified that these sort of things are stored in my brain um, i don't know you choose everybody listening let me know um am i too sad or is this impressive yeah yeah everybody, everybody, remember to use the hashtag is luke a sad act <laughs> and we'll do a twitter call on that or whatever this whatever that social media is called well okay. to prove if to prove if you actually do have the knowledge which in brackets we all know luke does you know a professional journalist but how about a quiz? <laughs> oh god, there's the noise again. <laughs> this, this wasn't in the in the conversation when you asked me to come on. This was not part of the brief, but okay, see, I, I'm up for the challenge. See, that's how you catch them out. It is, yeah. I can, I couldn't swap up. No cheating. So the quiz will be spell the name of Finnish driver. No, we are not going to do that. <laughs> right, six Brits were in the top fifteen finishers. How many can you name? Right. So, obviously, Colin McRae. 
yeah. uh, Richard Burns, Alistair McRae. We've gone through these. I'm going to assume Gwyndaf Evans is in there in the Ford. Always good, yes. So that's four. You say it's in the top 15? 15, yes. One, right, of them think... one of them you'll be able to hear. Ooh. Okay. I feel like that should be a clue I'm caught on to, but the minute my brain's scrambling, I'm trying to think who was around at this time and who would be... Mark Higgins? Ooh, no. <clears throat> I'm just thinking commentary here. This is a distinct voice. Oh, okay. Who was around at this time? And again, it's going to be a complete curveball, isn't it? If, this, I, say, this if is, I say Renault, will this help? Robbie Head. That's Thank the one. Thank you. That's a good clue. I see, I should have got that. Robbie Head, Robbie Head by the way, just as a complete segue. Fanta- I, I used to, it was on Channel 4 in the early 2000s. I used to love it. He'd, he'd pick up a rock and he'd like stand there and he'd go, thank you, Bonzi, as he fought. Oh, <laughs> quality TV. Um, anyway, that's a complete sidetrack. Well, I'm, I'm stalling, you see, and it's tactics. Um, I'm trying to think it must, would it have been a Brit? Was it Malcolm Wilson or did he not make the finish? He was not in this. He was in the rally, but no, he didn't make the top 15. Can you give me a, a clue of some sort? And if not, if, maybe initials or something, or would that give it away? KC. Not the Sunshine Band. <laughs> the only rally driver I could think of with initials KC was well, two. There's Keith Cronin, who's Irish and not around at this time. And Kevin Crawford is sponsored the Scottish Rally Challenge, and still does. Ooh. But I don't think it was Kevin Crawford. So well, I'm going to have to get right. one. Was it Kevin, Kevin? Kevin Curran. Oh, I never got there. I know. I never got there. That, that was my trick. But yeah, I did I did spot Robbie Head in there and thought you would thoroughly enjoy this name. That Renault okay. was a lovely old car, wasn't it? I loved it. I'm, I'm a sucker for any of those front-wheel drive Formula 2 kit cars, but yeah, the Renault had... For me, it was probably the best, actually, um, in terms of mechanical abilities and performance, but I used to love it, but I loved yellow as a child as well, so that was an instant win. Um, <laughs> like right, Coldplay. <laughs> Good song, that as well, though, to be fair. Is that controversial? I'll say I don't know. Um, we're, we're the people to say. I mean, it is. It is controversial, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> also, another name in there, of course, Gwyndaf Evans, you said. Uh, we know about the Evans family now. Taking on the world still. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing when I think about it. I don't often think about it because you, you get really lost in what somebody's doing currently. But Elvin and Gwyndaf are so similar. If you ever see them together, like both how they sound, how they communicate, even their appearance, everything about them. Um, and both cracking drivers. Like Gwyndaf never quite got the brakes that, that Elvin did. Um, but I think it is nice that, as you say, that name is still at the very front of rallying today. And, and Elvin's obviously doing his own unique bits of history. We, we've talked a lot about, obviously, Colin, we've mentioned Richard, but neither of them won Rally Finland. Elvin Evans done it twice now, which um, for a British rally driver, a Welshman, to be flying through those Scandi forests is, is pretty impressive. So, yeah, we've still got some hope from a UK perspective. We've still got somebody in there fighting for the championship. Hope in the UK is not really a good thing right now, but we'll try. Oh, to be there. So, yeah, that was the moment that basically set Colin McRae and British Rally and off into the stratosphere. Thank you, Luke, for your input and just for reminiscing on an absolutely incredible moment. So, Luke, we'll definitely have you back. Don't you worry about it. You've passed the test, my friend. We'll be back certainly for some more rallying as well and for many other classic races on another Races of Our Lives. See you then, everyone.
So come on then, which ones have we missed? Get on social media and find us to let us know what classic races you want us to cover and your memories of them. Just remember to use the hashtag races of our lives and we'll read out your memories as we go. 